I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talk to the Audience where this is always death. I am one of your hosts, Bob Mackey, the Osaka flu sufferer who is here with me today. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, happily misreporting on Chalmers and Skinner News. Oh, hooray. So if you're new to Talk to the Audience, this is our community podcast where we talk about news in the Simpsons world and in our world. And we talk about and respond to some of your questions and comments from the last round of episodes. Mm-hmm. And as part of our new schedule, this is now the uh, last slot in the month for patrons and the first slot of the month for non-patrons in the Talk Simpsons feed and because of our new schedule I was allowed to be sick for five days in a row (laughs) it was horrible and I just came out the other end and I might sound a little off on this podcast so I apologize I'm a little stuffed up, but I spent the last five days in just a uh, incubation period. <laughs> what did you say that your like uh, nerve endings felt deep fried or something? It hurt to blink. Oh god, it was awful. <laughs> and it's like whenever I go into being sick, your first thought is always, "Oh, free time! Think of mm-hmm. all the games I get to play." I think I did play about three total hours of video game over five <laughs> days. That's oh, all I could stand. Oh, it was sad. awful. <laughs> it was just like just being in uh, just awful and sore and tired and yes, not recommended. And I I got my goddamn flu shot this year. Oh man! Uh, well, I, I, you know, you you put yourself in a in a flight tube and you went to Disneyland. It's you true. Were asking for That's it. a petri dish. Uh, towards the end of it, I was googling coronavirus symptoms. I was uh, getting that sad and desperate. Look, like, do I have it? They're putting it in our heads. It's the new bird flu. It's true. And, it's true. And and all of them involve just a little dose, if not a at least a little dose of distrust of the Chinese. I threw out all the soy of, sauce in my fridge. Uh, it was. Really, <laughs> it's really sad that it turns into like I think I think the um xenophobia specifically toward China is gonna ramp up, you know, this Russia stuff, it's old. China's the new and uh, and old uh, thing to be afraid of now, foreign countries. Actually, so when I went to I was at Disneyland right before yeah. that. So I went from like two fun days at Disneyland to five days of uh, being sick with the flu. And I went there with uh, Nina Matsumoto, my girlfriend who's Japanese, and she was just getting uh she's getting coming down from a flu, coming mm. down from a cold. So she had a really bad cough. So I was like, that is our ticket to the front of any line. An Asian woman coughing at Disneyland? Uh, yeah, yeah. Take God. advantage of xenophobia. Use uh, it in your favor is what I say. That's, uh, she... We didn't do that, by no, the way. No. She had a great tweet of, uh, the shot of Homer saying, Duff Garden, yes. <laughs> It was very, uh, she couldn't barely talk, but she was feeling better. It just was, the, the cough persisted. Yeah. But, uh, we like, we like tag-teamed, uh, viruses, I guess. Jesus. Uh, we both had a fun Disney trip in February. That's true. It was, uh, it was a good time. I went at the start of February for, uh, our anniversary meeting. And Darren's and we had a really good time. Uh, we we hardcore did Disney in the second day. We had a three day pass. Uh, we did Disneyland hardcore the second day. First day was taking it easy at Disneyland Adventure, and the third day we really were just like let's just take let's just ride like three rides and eat stuff and then go home. Mm. Like we uh, we didn't give ourselves the previous exhausting pressure of we have to make every day worth it and do every single 
thing because we spent all this money on a three-day pass. That was my first Disneyland day. We did from 8 a.m. to midnight, so 16 hours. And then the next day, California Adventure was like, let's just uh, chill out a bit. I mean, California Adventure is easy town. Like, it's it's got Mm -hmm. two rides, pretty much. Once again, I must recommend you see the Frozen live show. I saw it for the second time. (laughs) I still haven't seen it. And Nina saw it for the first time. We both uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. It it makes the movie, it's like the movie should be an hour long. You don't need any of this crap. Uh, You know, I... uh, I enjoy the food, I enjoy the rides, I enjoy the overall theming, but I think I'm pretty light on attending actual shows at Disneyland. Mm, I'm there for the theater. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I guess I feel like at theater, I can watch this anywhere. I can only ride Splash Mountain here. But but Darren, uh, he also is... uh, He's a Splash Mountain hater of just like, he's like, if we're going to do it, we have to do it first thing in the morning or it's the last thing we do because I don't want to be wet all day. And I'm like, I understand that, but I, I love Splash Mountain. Listen, you can see Frozen anytime you want on Disney Plus, but you cannot see the masterful work behind the Olaf puppet whenever you want. That puppeteer is amazing. And that's okay. the only reason I go. It makes me like that stupid character. I think I like Olaf. Oh, no. And it's the, it's the live show's fault because I like puppets. And uh, I guess spoiler free, both of us really enjoyed the the rise of resistance right yes me, yes me more than you i think i was dazzled I, by it. i don't want like improv in my rides i don't want to have to play along i just want to just buckle me in and i'll watch something or i'll go on a, on a loop-de-loop or whatever uh not me i have dreamed of living in the star wars world like my whole life has been leading to this i would say <laughs> i told you this off uh the mic and uh, i say this because i used to be this sort of person so i feel like i have the license to you know <laughs> joke around a bit mm-hmm. but uh there's a certain part of the ride where you know uh uh, the door opens and spoilers skip you know ahead a minute if you don't want to know spoilers for rise of the resistance uh you're in this transport the door slides open and like not an actor but like a disney employee in a, in a costume is paid to tell you like you better come with me mm-hmm. in this case it was the pimply teen from the simpsons like darth vader says you gotta come this way <laughs> it was that character completely uh, and i was like uh disney you spent like like 200 million dollars on this ride or something crazy like that Hire actors. I, Put actors uh, on this thing. Uh, you know, maybe uh, it's uh, union actors in uh, in Orlando. Who knows? But I, I felt bad for that kid. I'm like, <laughs> how many Midwestern dads are like, oh, oh really now? <laughs> oh, you got to shoot me with a laser. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I understand, yes. But uh, my person who did that was uh, was a woman doing a good job of That's acting. Good. Though. But none of this has anything to do with The Simpsons. No. But no, wait, it does because they're owned by Disney. There, we found a yes, way to make yeah. it work. <laughs> uh, and, and yes, in our news this month there's still some disney plus news as there always no. is uh, but i guess our news begins where it always must begin yes uh, a poo watch continues uh, yeah dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's uh, more oh, non-news boy. and uh, bad headlines await us in the world yeah, of a poo yeah well so basically there is in the situation of Hank Azaria doing a poo and it being, you know, deemed an offensive character, which me and Baba basically agree with. Yeah, that, go back yeah. to our podcast from what, like 18 months ago? Yeah, we covered yeah. the, what's the movie called again? The Problem with the problem the poo. The Poo, yeah. We went over that and we talked about it. I mean, we said what we needed to say. Yes, but the new information is that today, the, the time of this recording on Tuesday, there was a New York Times article, a uh, long form interview with Hank Hank Azaria talking about 
the poo thing. A ton of new quotes of him just saying, like, yeah, I'm not doing the character anymore. I was defensive at first, but I understand why people feel this way, and I don't want to do that. And he talked about how he talked to other, you know, South Asian folks to get their insight on it, and they told him like, "Yeah, no, it's it's been offensive." Like, and he he says he's stepping back from the voice of Apu. Uh, the article's written by David Itzkoff, who, if you're a super online Twitter person, oh, yeah. he, he tweets a lot of Simpsons memes. Uh, it's like something from current politics plus a line from The Simpsons, which you know that's uh, I mean that up a lot too i i respect his game it's cough but uh he also in his article got a statement from unnamed quote simpsons executive producers which at first when i saw this story reported on by another outlet i thought they're like well they just didn't say it was al Jean or whatever sometimes people skip over the names of the producers and just say simpsons executive producers but no the new york times article itself identified the quote as from simpsons executive producers so that feels like a slight dodge of controversy where they're just like, we're not going to say who said this. This is just as a group, the executive producers. A of triumvirate Simpsons. of producers decided <laughs> on this. Uh, but their quote about Azaria not wanting to do Apu anymore is, quote, We respect Hank's journey in regard to Apu. We have granted his wish to no longer voice the character. And they continued, Apu is beloved worldwide. We love him too. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of the official executive producer statement on the matter. Let, please let the story die. Please. Uh, I mean, that still sounds to me like they might consider recasting Apu in in that case, like with with an appropriate actor, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Which you know, hey, that's. But I mean, I hope they listen to that character or actor if they have opinions about how they want to play up who i i'm also fine with like i don't know you, you don't need to see we've seen him a lot maybe no more Apu. It's yeah okay. there's been th- there's been like 27 years of Apu or whatever it's okay uh, it's but fine. yes annoyingly we have to talk about it again because it yeah just, well my guess is that this is azaria's pr team offering up an interview with the new york times because they were keep getting asked about it in roundtables about other non-simpsons projects and so they're trying to address it in the most public space available to have that conversation so uh but i don't know in general it definitely feels like a reaction to Azaria being continually asked about, well, are you doing Apu? What's your opinions on Apu? Apu, Apu. So I'm sure he's sick of it. <laughs> Very much so, yes. Let's yeah. ask Harry Shearer about Sanjay. Hey, yeah, <laughs> let's get on. Or, uh, I mean, uh, Dan Castellaneta, we've, we can we can cancel all these people if we look hard mm-hmm. enough. But uh, anyway, uh, the newest Simpsons episode that just happened, they did a cryptocurrency one with Frank coin instead of Bitcoin. Okay. And uh, Jim Parsons was the guest. Is he uh, the Big Bang Man he's himself? He's the Big Bang Man, yes. He's, is he uh, is he Sheldon? He's Sheldon, okay. yes, yeah. Who uh, is now young, the young Sheldon. Young that's, Sheldon. Uh, though that is show that the name is of a rapper? over. Yeah. <laughs> Y-U-N-G. <laughs> oh, the show's over. Uh, well, not young Sheldon, but Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory. Yes. That, that, when did that, that end? I think last year. Okay, Just, TV uh, news for me. <laughs> uh, and uh, also in the news, uh, the thing I joked about at the start, a website I used to work for that I wouldn't have approved this headline, it, they, they did a post saying that The Simpsons is doing 
doing a steamed ham sequel, which is not the case and is actually a bunch of bullshit. But uh, the short version is that Matt Selman at a, a roundtable somewhere said we're doing a new Skinner and Chalmers focused episode. And somebody asked like, oh, is this steamed ham stuff? And he said, well, there might be a reference in the background, but we're not just like redoing steamed hams or anything. So that's what Selman had to say. And it just annoyed me to see based on nothing that it was being reported as steamed hams coming back. I know Bill Oakley was making some comments too. Yeah. I mean, his, uh, yeah, I uh, the one tweet I saw Bill Oakley, the author of steamed hams, uh, tweet out, this is not a direct quote but paraphrasing is like oh yeah good for them you know hey i he's he has no ill will towards the show but he also says like that headline's wrong it's not a sequel to steamed hams so oh yeah one thing that's not in the uh, news that i just remembered upon sitting down to record this podcast is that uh bill oakley is like sort of teasing some mission hill stuff oh on that's Twitter right lately. yeah i'm so yeah i haven't i'm disappointed myself for forgetting that yes yeah uh, it seems to be gus and wally focused but mm-hmm. uh he's been showing like text chains between him and josh weinstein yeah um he also on his instagram he's somehow like doing a food review with john Vitti, one of uh the former oh, writers of the I simpsons that. well yeah. well well so he's rubbing elbows with these people i don't know what's happening and i think he even said like as soon as we can say what's happening we'll be on your show or whatever he even said yes, that to us on twitter he, he, i jokingly said that when we do could you announce this soon because it'd make our jobs easier when we do mission hill and he said, uh, to, to paraphrase, he's like, oh, I'll love to interview about this, but it's probably at least a year away if anything happens. So It's awesome to hear. Like, yeah. who knows what it'll be, but uh, there could be more Mission Hill or maybe like a Mission Hill spinoff or something. Yeah, I mean, streaming services need content based on things that were popular or even known in the 90s. Yeah, so. like even if you were on Adult Swim in 2001, that's still more um, exposure than anything on TV now. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I, I was trying to deconstruct who owns mission hill and thus what thing it would be on now i mean because it got popular on adult swim my first thought was it would there the platform would be hbo max but i believe it's sony that has the distribution rights like it was their dvds mm. i believe it was but then it's like Castle Rock was a production company, so do they own it? The same as the Seinfeld people? It was it's... a Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein production. They told us at the end of every episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, however it is, I am very excited at it, especially if it's going to bring in some of my favorite gay dudes in uh, fiction. But uh, yes, thank you for remembering that. I totally forgot that. Keep watching the skies when it comes to uh, the Mission Hill news. And we also have some new movie news coming fresh off of our recent reviewing of the simpsons movie for the yeah. michael and us podcast check it out on our uh, on our feed and also check out their podcast michael and us yeah yeah i hope you guys enjoyed the michael and us uh podcast we put into the feed for you guys uh you we we love uh will and luke they're such cool dudes but uh yes al Jean did a new interview with slash film about all things simpsons and yeah uh, he was asked about the uh a sequel film and he said like oh it's in very early stages you know nothing to comment on but sounds like discussions are being made with disney uh, mm. and then the other bit was he he refutes danny elfman but still in the ways i said before that makes me think it's not a true refutation that he says yeah we're doing season 32 he, he had a funny line that G 
Gene said, like, if The Simpsons was ending, Danny Elfman would not be the first person to know that. Uh, but he also said, like, we're doing season 32. We're not stopping anytime soon. But it's like, yeah, we already know you're renewed for season 32. But if behind the scenes you knew you weren't getting renewed for season 33, he, Al Gene, didn't say anything that countered that information. Mm, okay. But uh, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, I, I believe Disney will not stop doing The Simpsons, but I think, I still think after season 32, things are going to be different. Uh, I guess we'll find out pretty soon then, right? Well, season 32, yeah, begins in the fall. And yeah. It, and our I, table read was a 32 episode, right? I think it was late 31. Oh, yeah. Actually. Like super late production order 31. Yeah. 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 But 30, I mean, they're doing 32 now. It's happening. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the last time they got renewed was like in um, January or February. So I think late this year early 2021 we'll start knowing what really what's mm. up with the future of the simpsons at the very least as a show that's broadcast on fox television and it's, speaking of simpsons being broadcast bad news for britain yes because I, you're not getting it <laughs> i'm sorry british people but uh we here here me and you have been celebrating disney plus and just rubbing it in the noses of <laughs> people all over the uk and lots of europe but disney plus is about to arrive in the united kingdom and in many European countries on March 24th. But thanks to a bunch of old deals with Sky and Channel 4, there's no Simpsons at launch. The Simpsons will come later, but they don't have the streaming rights currently in that region and so you get disney plus you can finally watch that mandalorian and, and have a lot of fun there but no simpsons it'll probably have like a little simpsons uh channel or whatever yeah. that will tell you like sky has this now <laughs> send hate tweets to them or at the very least it'll say like it'll come here on this date yeah like, like how there's certain star wars things on netflix and disney plus has the little like channel button for it yeah yeah but it'll just if you if for some reason you wanted to watch the solo film it'll tell you you can't until a certain date maybe when disney plus launches we'll know the exact date that they're gonna get simpsons on there but yeah sorry sorry to our listeners over the pond uh you're not getting simpsons on mm -hmm. disney plus soon uh which by the way bob did you happen to notice that gift Darren got me uh there the bart with the oh, yeah, mickey he, hat they actually yeah. came in the mail while i was here oh that's right yeah. yes yeah it was uh did, my husband got me a very nice valentine's gift of the uh the bart with his tongue sticking out wearing a mickey mouse ears that was given out of d23 this year so uh that was very nice of him uh, i guess uh let's move on then we talked about it some people enough people were saying that simpsons predicted the coronavirus that makes me so tired <laughs> i because there was a, an accurate represent well i guess cartoonish representation of how the flu travels from the mm -hmm. east off into the west yeah yeah but in in the osaka flu storyline in margin change which yeah. uh i mean god every shot it's such a silly shot they'd never do on the show now but i love every one of it. it's just a green cloud that floats on people's faces and they go like they scream ah! yeah <laughs> i mean this just could be my uh horrible american education speaking or just a very uh american perspective but from my knowledge uh usually like the the influenza that comes to america every year is usually starts in uh, china mm. or in that area 
area in that region. And basically, when you get your flu shot, they have to predict which strain will come here. Mm. And uh, obviously, mine was incorrect. <laughs> but that's what The Simpsons was making fun of. It's just like, yes, the, the virus came from a, an oriental country. Yeah, I mean... It's it usually a, doesn't come from Japan, I don't think. I, I mean, in general, it's just a lot of exoticism. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, that... Uh, I used oriental in scare quotes, by the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, the Osaka flu joke, it predicates on the idea of like thing a lot of things are made in japan which most which, uh, that's not true anymore not bought it yet especially not a juicer that you buy in america and yeah. honestly if i want to fully take apart the reality of that joke that juice loosener it would be very cheaply made if it's being sold by troy mcclure thus it would be much more likely produced in china or another um lower wage country Indonesia. than japan yeah, in, yeah yes yeah i do like the graphic of godzilla with like a a thing on his head oh, like a little ice bag on yeah, his head and like and a thermometer the, that's such a funny drawing yeah <laughs> this was getting spread around enough that there was a new snopes article on fact checking if the simpsons predicted the coronavirus so no they didn't why not. did snopes need to weigh in on that snopes is busy man they gotta i mean snopes is one of the most visited websites on the internet so they gotta stay current you know speaking of staying current i got corrected by josh weinstein I, on the internet i've got some problems with this but please All continue right. well so uh we hit an anniversary date of of brother from another series the sideshow bob episode where david hyde pierce played cecil in that episode, which we had Nina Matsumoto on, which was awesome, such a great episode, we get to the part where a character says, probably, and on the commentary, they say that's David Hyde Pierce because he wanted to do just a one-line character as a funny joke in addition to doing Cecil. When we had that audio by itself and we listened to it over and over, you and I both are just like, and, and Nina, we all agreed. That's Hank Azaria. That's not David Hyde Pierce. It really sounds like Hank. They also said that in this tweet thread from the Daily Simpsons uh, Twitter. And I replied of like, yeah, no, we isolated it on the podcast too. And I really think it's Hank. I think they misremember that they had Hank re-recorded or so, perhaps. And then Josh Weinstein, you know, very politely replied to me. And I was just like, no, really listen closely. It sounds like David Hyde Pierce doing a normal voice. Mm. And it's, it's really him. Though even he at the end said like yeah probably <laughs> i mean uh if we ever run into josh weinstein again we probably will i want to sit him down with headphones and be like you listen to this sir <laughs> you tell me that's david hyde pierce because i still feel like it's hank azaria and i think it's an honest mistake where like the engineer had the wrong file or in the mix the wrong probably was put in like maybe hank did that as a temp track mm -hmm. and they forgot to drop in the david hyde pierce probably but that is a hundred percent hank azaria it's really yeah. really sounds josh like weinstein is a liar <laughs> <laughs> we'll he we'll put headphones on him and play it until he agrees with us. It'll but be he like is torture. A, he's a Bernie fan like us, so I forgive him. No, he's good. Yes, yeah. That's all. That's the easy path <laughs> to forgiveness of uh, being a Bernie fan, just like Carolyn Omine. Like uh, thumbs yes. up, Carolyn Omine. Certain Simpsons writers not so happy with Bernie. We'll, uh, we won't talk about them. <laughs> hey, let's only focus on the positives. Yes, but but yes. So I did reply to Josh saying like, "Hey, that's proof enough for me." And then I included the Diamond Joe Quimby saying 
saying, I uh, stand corrected. So, uh, and Josh liked that. And so that's his friend. That's uh, good enough for me on Twitter. But yes, I wanted to update a claim we'd said on the podcast with what one of the executive producers who was working on the show said about it. And so I do trust his recollection more than my guessing. Mm. But that really sounds I'm like, on the fence. That really sounds like Hank is I think he's gaslighting me. us. Uh, when I guess the speaking of uh, former Simpsons executive producers, uh, the last bit of news is about a show that premiered on Fox this month. Yes, that Mike Scully was teasing on uh, our, I think our first interview he even teased it. Like he said, he's working with Amy Poehler (laughs) and the second interview he said what it was called. I'm sure it was announced at that point. He didn't break the news on our podcast, Mm but he's been talking about it with us uh, on our interviews, but now it's finally on TV. It's Duncanville. Yes, the Duncanville. Yeah, I, uh, if you're new to the Patreon or haven't heard that interview yet, go back to our first Scully interview. And at the very end, when we ask him about, you know, what's in the future, he's like, well, I am just finishing off, me and my wife are just finishing off a script to deliver it to Amy Poehler for a pilot. And I'm like, wow, now you look back on it, that is the pilot that became Duncan. And that was like uh, two, a little over two years ago, I think. It was like uh, December of 2018, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think it was that, yeah. Or 2017, yeah. We just yeah. started the uh, Patreon. Yeah, Scully, I, and Scully, one of the nicest dudes around, like so nice. And uh, and and I I look forward to talking with him in the future about it. So, uh, Duncanville, I I watched the first couple episodes that have premiered. Uh, they're they're all on Hulu if you have a Hulu subscription, and uh, it's good. I you know the animation could be a little better, I guess, in just that it's like the it's uh, stylistically it's just so similar to all the other type of Fox shows. I wish it had more of its own stamp on it. I think, but. I think it's a very funny, uh, well-written show with a great cast. It's no Alan Gregory. Ugh, God, yeah. No, we've seen the bad shows. Yeah. Like, there's, like, uh, I mean, what's that King of the Hill wannabe that I'm not watching? That oh, Bless the, the Hearts? Yeah, Bless yeah. the Hearts. Like, that, like, this show looks way better than Bless the Hearts. I'll it say does, that yeah. And uh, apparently David Silverman consulted on the entire season, entire yeah. first season. Actually, I didn't see a lot of the animation, and I thought it was a little bit of the Bob's Burgers, uh, the Flash, Flash World of Bob's Burgers, mm-hmm. but there's a little bit more life to it. I saw some animators who were working on the show posting on Twitter there's like smears in the show yeah, like animation yeah. smears and stuff so I feel like they're doing a little more with the tools that they're given for these sort of things yeah I mean it's it's the same production house as Bob's Burgers and all the other new shows as we talked about in the last community podcast Fox Television which is not Disney this is the Fox yeah. Broadcasting Company they bought the animation studio that does Bob's Burgers so all the new animated series they're making which they're making a lot of them those are all from that studio so they all kind of a, they share all the same tool sets so I think that's why there's a lot of sameness to the looks of them but yeah I think artistically Duncanville is better than a lot of its compatriots on the Fox network I'd mm. say that and yeah he yes David Silverman has a con, uh, consulting producer credit on it uh, just in Scully in a tweet made it clear of like yeah he was a consulting producer on the whole first season and specifically he called out that the lead character Duncan who's a very gangly teenager uh, that design Silverman helped a lot with he it reminds says. me of the critic where David Silverman designed Jay Sherman and that's basically <laughs> it he like drew him on a cocktail napkin and that's how they got Jay Sherman they, they couldn't afford Silverman to do the whole <laughs> Yes, I mean, they got Rich Moore. He's great. <laughs> no, they're all they're all great. But I, in the critics' case, that led to a 
ununiform world, and it just it kind of got distracting, especially in the first season. I, I do like how those characters look, but it's not a uniform style at all. Yeah, but uh, as for Duncanville, I mean, it is a very uniform style, and uh, now more of the positives I like about it. I think you know Amy Poehler; she's always funny, as is the rest of the voice cast. Betsy Sidaro. Oh, she's great! I, I love, love hearing her. her voice, and she's great. I mean, her character is just her. Like they drew her if she was a teenager. That's true, <laughs> and she's uh, she was on Bob's Burgers for a bit too. She probably still is right i would assume so yeah yeah. i mean every if you're a ucb improviser you've been on bob's burgers at least three times i have to assume if you if you're a ucb alum and you haven't been on bob's burgers you'd be insulted at this point you you insulted somebody by not being on the show (laughs) or that's why you're not on the show sorry uh but yeah uh, betsy star is great i also really like the well okay we know mike scully so well now that when the dad character on the show is a classic rock obsessed loser Uh, what do you think about I, Mike Scully? I have to I have to think Scully is joking about his own obsession. He's constantly trying to meet a Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> oh yeah, now there's all those jokes with Duncan's dad in the show. It's uh, it's pretty funny. I saw funny. like a funny promo clip of him at like an Alice Cooper concert in yeah. the 80s. Yeah, he he got a Oh man. So the second episode I liked more than the first. Uh, also, Rashida Jones is on the show as like the love interest, which they're saying like, hey, if you like Parks and Rec and wish that Amy's character and Rashida's character got together, well, hey, now they're really in a, a romantic situation in the show. But the second episode I liked more than the first. And the second episode is written by Julie Thacker Scully. And it begins with the mother being unable to get into her garage because it's filled with rock and roll collectibles <laughs> that the husband won't get rid of. That's great. I need <laughs> to watch I, these. I feel that's ripped tr- directly from their relationship, I think. But yeah, that's the funniest. I There's a great line from the dad, too, in the first episode where he says like, Oh, son, I, I, I just want to be your cool dad. That's why I grew up this ponytail. <laughs> like, it's it's a sweet show, and I like their approach to cartoon dads in it. It's great, yes. Uh, yeah. Please check out Duncanville. Maybe we'll talk to Mike Scully about it. Maybe it'll be a what a cartoon uh, sometime oh, soon. Oh, yeah. That'd be yeah, fun. Yeah, that's a good idea. But not in the next month, though, because we already got that schedule ready. Yes, so we have the schedule for March ready. Uh, It's not going to be a lousy smart schedule. It's going to be a good (laughs) smart schedule because we... uh, What is the schedule on here? Actually, I don't have it in front of me, so Henry, Uh, I'm unprepared. From the top, uh, the next week's What a Cartoon is going to be Street Sharks with special guest Matt McMuscle. Already recorded. It was a lot of fun, Mm. and it made me want to take a nap. The the viewing of the show. (laughs) Too much Street Sharks. It excited you. It angered up your blood, too. I think it shut down my immune system, which let the uh, Akuna Matata virus in. Uh, but, uh, but Matt McMuscles has some extra fun thoughts on the street sharks and their history as well. Mm-hmm. Then after that, we're going to be doing the long way. We've done Batman. We've done Batman twice. Uh, actually, more than twice. So it's time to move forward in the DC Animated Universe timeline with Superman, the animated series. That's right. This is going to be uh, pretty new to me because I poo-pooed it as a Aww. young teen. I'm like, it's not dark out. This is not Batman. <laughs> yes. Look. But I know it's good. I know yeah. it's good. Superman is a good, a really good show. Batman is better. Of course it is. Like, But it it also, Batman had more money and uh, in just in general, a bigger budget because in the five years between the green lining of Batman and the green lining of Superman, did, uh, Warner was like, oh, we know we don't have to spend that as much on yeah, it. Yeah, the, so. the money faucet shut off. <laughs> <laughs> or at least like turned down, I'd say. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, we will be doing Superman the Animated Series. It's a pick of one of our top level patrons and they 
want us to do the episode Heavy Metal from the second season, which, if you're a Superman fan, that is the episode that introduced Steel to the series. It's the one where Steel mm. helps Superman battle Metallo. Guest starring Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, Michael Dorn. He's, okay. uh, he voices Steel. In the, uh, I do think, uh, just to tease about that episode, I do think they're, I think it's a good episode, but I think behind the scenes, based on a comment I saw from Bruce Tim, they didn't like doing that episode as much because I think it had an executive demand that they put Steel in the show because uh, the movie was coming out. But I, It's got to be better than that movie. <laughs> Uh, but it's a good episode. It's a okay. good episode. And, and then after that... We have uh, my choice. So as we established at the beginning of the year, we are revisiting a series we've already done on What a Cartoon. And so we didn't technically do this series yet, but we did the movie. So for the third week of uh, March, we're going to be doing the Tiny Toon Adventures episode, The Return of Bat Duck, which is actually an episode of the Plucky Duck show, but it doesn't matter because it's the only <laughs> original episode produced for that quote-unquote spinoff that was folded back into reruns of Tiny Toon. <laughs> So there you have it. I'm out of breath. I think that might be the best episode of Tiny Toon Adventures. It's uh, it's all plucky and it's all TMS animation. And there's an amazing uh, cartoon version of Tim Burton in the movie. Oh, God. And uh, it was for all the little weird kids who were like totally tuned into Hollywood gossip in the 90s, the early 90s, like me. Oh, God. We were all waiting for Batman Returns to come out. And so here's a bunch of jokes about the making of it. Uh, I think I'm looking forward to doing it. And we'll also be able to talk about about the exit of Charlie Adler, because I think it's the first Charlie Adler-free yes, episode. Yes, this could be the John Kassir uh, Crypt Keeper guy doing, yes. taking over for The Voice. The real Crypt Keeper, yeah. as we've covered before. Yeah, uh, And then after that, another patron pick. We're going to be doing the cutting-edge Canadian CGI animated series reboot. You're to stifle a laugh. <laughs> uh, it was cutting-edge. Yes, hey, I, I watch it. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> I mean, there were tons of ugly-ass CGI shows, but they didn't have good writing and acting like reboot did and so we'll finally be touching on reboot and uh, the episode firewall is the one we'll Mm. be doing so uh look forward to that i i'm looking forward to if only to hear tony jay's wonderful i love it we heard a bit of it on mighty max Uh, and the last week of course will be a preview of our what a cartoon movie for that month and we do have the topic it's going to be uh movies based on tv shows we've covered on what a cartoon so some of these i think uh two of them are returning picks so we have the the spongebob squarepants movie uh wacko's wish the animaniacs movie uh the daria tv movie the first one is it fall yet and then we also have wallace and gromit curse of the were rabbit for the fourth pick and that <laughs> uh, poll will be up soon so that yeah. will determine the what a cartoon movie and also the preview for that month for that final week that is right you know wallace and gromit they've they've been a contender several times but they just can't get to it uh and can can it do well can the spongebob movie do well well animaniacs and daria triumph that is the question in the polls and only you can answer it uh if you're a five dollar and a patron and you vote on it mm-hmm. uh I, I you know i just saw the spongebob musical this month too that was pretty good you it's told a me yeah good musical yeah. I, i'm i'm in the musicals now so uh i you know i think you'd really like it if i won't spoil it but the squidward song is written by they might be giants and it's my of favorite course. it's my favorite <laughs> song in it and i think you'll love it that too. sounds great i mean i'm also hearing th- good things about the Beetlejuice musical? I've heard that too. Yeah. It's Lindsay weird, Ellis yeah. is my uh, <laughs> door into that world. I trust her opinions on musicals I, and also Great Mouse Detective. I'm just glad we're all done talking about cats. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thank God. 
uh, our long national nightmare is over. Uh, and also coming up soon, we have a mini series, our first of two for 2020 for five dollar and up patrons and there will be a vote on that as there always is yes. so we have the returning contender the king of the hill of our mini series king of the hill <laughs> season two part one that would be i believe 11 episodes of uh, king of the hill uh, yes. talking of the hill rather yes just like we did with talking futurama for the second season we you know the mini series we don't want to give ourselves 22 episodes of mini series to do and we're going to do two in a year so we're just doing half of season two but it's uh, r- quite a season, those 11 episodes. But that's just one choice. Mm-hmm. So we have King of the Hill Season 2 Part 1. We have Mission Hill. Uh, we have Daria Season 1. And we also have what we uh, suggested or what we threw out there in our last Batman episode, a 10-episode sampler of Batman, the animated series. The episodes will be chosen by us, mm-hmm. but it'll be 10 episodes of that series that we love the most and want to talk about the most. Yes. And, uh, you know, in the case of Mission Hill, it's 20th anniversary. We do the full series of that. And uh, yeah, Daria season one, we did cover one episode from season one already, but we'd be covering the rest of them. Yes, we yeah. did the Misery Chick like almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, Which, uh, uh, you know, that was an interesting uh, one to go back to you brought up yes, this month. Uh, yeah. <laughs> after certain, you know, tr- problematic people die, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's fun to revisit. It, it, you can learn a lot from that episode. Yes, yeah. I guess, you know, last bit of podcast news I'll put in here is uh, if you haven't listened yet to our Jay Kogan interview, then here's a little treat for you i am gonna now drop in a clip from it of uh, one of our favorite bits from that interview with jay kogan of him telling the story of the creation of treehouse of horror oh you uh, mentioned the treehouse uh, yeah you wrote the king and kodo segment in the f- uh, first treehouse of horror uh, what was the thinking of in the writer's room of like doing a halloween special and i i would guess you guys didn't anticipate it being this you know three decades long tradition at this point well absolutely not i mean here's here's what happened i'll tell you the complete story <laughs> matt Groening walked into the room and said we should do ghost story show we should do a ghost story show and matt Groening at the time wasn't beloved uh in the writer's room because he didn't write much <laughs> so and he was getting a lot of credit for the show so a lot of the people there rolled their eyes and go like Ugh, matt with his ideas yeah it's just pitch us an idea and then walk away <laughs> You know, which is what he would do. He would pitch and then he would go walk away and go home and do his stuff. And he had his cartoons and he was signing autographs and doing other stuff. He, you know, he wasn't in our writer's room a ton of time. Mm. And that's fine because uh, he didn't write. He wasn't that kind of writer. But Wally and I heard this and we like Matt and we think Matt's a genius in his own right. And just like Matt, just like Sam Simon thought at the beginning of the seasons of the Simpsons, this guy's got great ideas. When he has, has a great idea, take it, use it, <laughs> run with it. And this was felt like a good idea. So to us, it wasn't just the ghost stories. It felt like we could show the story. We could actually do the uh, stories. We could make, we could turn the Simpsons where the James L. Brooks's rule was, this is a grounded family sitcom where we don't do fantasies and we don't, do, we're, we're going to be grounded and we're going to be real. And this was an opportunity to sell ghost stories and then go into the ghost stories and be crazy. <laughs> and it was very unpopular. But Wally and I sort of championed it and sort of pushed it around. And we sort of pushed it around until we finally got Sam Simon to come around on it and says, come on, it's Halloween. We'll do a Halloween special and it'll, it'll be great. We can promote it. And then Sam, when Sam finally hit on the idea of, of doing The Raven, he wanted to just do The Raven, mm. the, the, Poe, the Edgar Allan Poe 
story. He says, well, if I could do the Raven, then then that would be fun for me because he always liked the Raven. I said, yeah, the Raven. Everybody loves the Raven. <laughs> I don't think every, everybody doesn't love the Raven. But I just said, everybody loves the Raven. People will go crazy for the Raven. Uh, and then he let us do it. So then we had segments of, you know, we got to do our Halloween episodes. And that was so much fun. And we got to do our, our Kang and Kodos. And then there was the Raven. And I think there was a, maybe the, uh, the I forget, the, the, the Haunted House, like Poltergeist, I think yeah. was the other one, uh, uh, John Schwartzwelder wrote. And it was so much fun. And it was so successful and so popular. They said, well, do it again next year. And then it became <laughs> tradition from that, that point on. But, but it, it took a while because it really was a change of pace from what we normally would do. And it took a lot of people con- to convince people that it was okay to do this. Mm. That we weren't, we weren't ruining the tone of the show. That we're, <laughs> the fear, there were two fears. One was that we were turning the, car- the show back into a cartoon and making it stupid. Mm. The other actual fear was we were going to scare the shit out of kids. <laughs> because we knew, even though we were not writing the show for kids at all, by that time we knew kids were watching. So we were kind of trying to be careful about that. And we actually had a warning at the beginning. Mm. Marge comes out and says, you know, this might be scary for kids. And then <laughs> they do the show. I think that they don't do those warnings anymore, but um, <laughs> they did the very first one. We, we, me and Bob, were those eight-year-olds watching and that special. Slightly scared. <laughs> yeah, a little scared. <laughs> yeah. Mission accomplished. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So, like, we, we, did, we, did, we didn't want to scare kids too badly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we were concerned a little bit about that. We kept telling people at the beginning of the show, don't let your kids watch The Simpsons. You know, it's not for kids. It's for adults. It's on at night. You know, <laughs> don't let kids watch it. But that was a losing battle at a certain point. And then at what point do you let, you know, uh, we never really acquiesced to the idea that the content should be only appropriate for kids. Hmm. But we were aware that kids were watching. And hmm. we kept saying, well, I guess that's up to parents. That was an amazing interview. And Jay uh, said he'd want to come back and do more. And we have a lot more to talk about. I think we oh, like goodness. just covered season one almost. That's basically yeah. it. We uh, we were light. I mean, he is just his career on Simpsons. That's another like three hours of interviews, I think. So, yes, I uh, just like our plans to interview Mike Scully again someday in the future. Same with Jay Kogan, for sure. So now we're on to questions and comments from listeners. And of course, Talking Simpsons comes first. And our first set of questions and comments are from No Disgrace Like Home. And our first one is from Tad Komarowski, or sorry, Thad Komarowski, who says, Tom and Jerry history was definitely the influence for much of Itchy and Scratchy's backstory and commentary, but their true theatrical cartoon roots are in Herman and Catnip, the most violent of all the famous studio's (laughs) cartoons, which regularly featured decapitation, mutilation, and dismemberment. And Catnip dies a lot too and matt graney would absolutely have been aware of 70s gory cat and mouse parodies of underground comics like massimo matoli's squeak the mouse and national lampoon's kit and caboodle yeah sorry, kit and caboodle <laughs> uh good good points there from thad yeah i i have never seen a herman and catnip like yeah, fa- famous picture of studios i don't think i've watched much of any yeah i mean they would show us lots of trash as kids but i think some trash couldn't even make the cuts (laughs) (laughs) or maybe they were like lost in uh lawsuits or something and they couldn't (laughs) be licensed for cheap air 
play. I wish if I could replace every time I watched a Bosco cartoon with Herman and Catnip, I would. If I could just go back in time and do that. Oh, you mentioned Bosco, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of Bosco, so our buddy uh, Kaiser Beams is a great uh, YouTube channel. Mostly covers anime, but now they've moved on to covering the history of cartoons. And right now they have a very great video about the history of Bosco. Oh boy! And uh, so speaking of violent cartoons, uh, in the video. They're showing clips of different Bosco cartoons, obviously, throughout. And one of them is a World War One cartoon made in the 30s called, like, Doughboys or something like that what? with Bosco. I mean, there are fun war cartoons, of mm. course. And that was, like, a, a war that happened 20 years prior. So let's have fun with it. Mm. And there was one gag in it that made me go, oh, my God. Like, literally exclaim, oh, my God, out loud, where there's, like, they're running around on the battlefield. And a wiener dog, like a dachshund, is, like, uh, running through the battlefield. It gets torn apart by machine gunfire. Jesus. It's, the center of its body is just ripped apart part by gunfire and then the top part falls down it becomes a smaller dog and runs away wow. but as it was being ripped apart by bullets i was like oh my god wow, before man. the haze code <laughs> is when that happened i'll tell you that, that much that is shocking is that that's uh, i mean that's more anti-german sentiment it is but yes uh, th- a lot of has changed since uh, yeah. 1932 uh but thad thank you so much for uh, your background on the other cat and mouse uh stuff that was going on at the time also for no disgrace like home joe hodgson says i think you guys may have missed a joke albeit a small one akin to the simps in the title cards when the family returns home from their evening of peeping homer slumps against the side of the house and says i want to be alone with my thought as opposed to the plural thoughts it's an early homer is dumb and simple joke that obviously would become much more prevalent in later seasons like henry i like to think homer has gotten dumber over the years due to all of the blunt force trauma he's had to endure to his knocking i think that's one of the things the writers learn where if you want to make the distinction between thought and thoughts you need to hit it hard in an, un- in an unnatural way mm. which is why that joke is just sort of fuzzy it's not yeah. as obvious as it could be so i think they learned based on the delivery like oh maybe that kind of a pun or joke won't work yeah it's when you see it on a script page right there easy to see and it's not like you know dan underperformed it but it's just when it all adds up together line line reading animation sound mixing you just hear it as i want to be alone with my thoughts because that's the normal way to put yeah, it and yeah and i think in exploring season one we are noticing like oh that was a joke it yeah. just was not communicated in the way that you would see a future simpsons joke communicated like a little mm. too subtle or underplayed or in this case just the uh the articulation wasn't there for the whole first season it's learning the levels to play at and i think by season two, they added uh, much more figured out. Mm-hmm. So up next, we have Bart the General, and Eric says, The slapping scene was based on real-life incidents involving Patton and two soldiers in separate incidents during the Sicily campaign. The soldiers were classified with quote-unquote battle fatigue, which Patton thought was cowardice, so he slapped them and ordered them back to the front line. Patton was eventually reprimanded by Eisenhower for this and made to apologize. So yes, uh, <laughs> battle fatigue. And I think we call it something different now. Y- oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. not like... Uh, I mean, Ninja Turtles would joke about shell shock, but that was like another form of PTSD. <laughs> they were just, it was just a pun about their turtle shell shells. Shock. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, well, that makes the, that makes the speech that Abe gives even funnier that it's based on a real thing where he's just like, Patton could do all of those things. Uh, I could send him off to uh, die in some godforsaken rock. Boy, you can't do a slap. 
slap him and you need to apologize <laughs> to these people who you can kill whenever you want in any way. <laughs> it's all about civility. It's uh, it's totally civility yes. politics. Yes. You yeah. follow the war, the war rules. <laughs> so Justin Brown has the next comment on uh, Bartha General. This one made me a little sad. My grandpa is a World War II vet, but he never spoke about his service. It wasn't until after he passed that I looked up his service records and found out that he passed as white to join a fighting corps while most black service members were engineers or other non-frontline fighters. He reminded me a lot of Abe in this episode and the Flying Hellfish episode, the only times Abe was truly competent. And Bart the General was the first episode of the show I remember seeing, so it holds a special place in my heart. And wow, that's that's an impressive tale of your grandpa that he he wants, you know, if I could be sure that I would be drafted to non-front lines and, and risk my life, I, I think I would stay away from it. But instead, to take advantage of, you know, a passing status to, to fight on uh, the front lines, that's crazy. Yeah, it's something you don't, I mean, uh, we are just, uh, you know, often privileged enough to not to think about those things or not be confronted with those things. But if you go back to look at that Flying Hellfish episode, you're like, oh, yeah, all those guys are white because of the segregated army. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which pretty fucked up. I mean, I mean, my favorite, I guess, comedic take on that is uh, David Cross's bit about the segregated graveyards. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. I believe it's on uh, the CD. It's not funny or the album. Mm. It's not funny. It's a very, very funny <laughs> bit about what he wants you to do with his corpse after yeah. he dies. Oh. Oh, yes. Yeah. I wonder if he's changed that plan yet. I don't know. Mm, who knows? He's, you know, he's a father now. I mean, yeah. he might, uh, his comedy burial might not be as funny now that he has a child. He broke his contract with the audience by having a child. So I, who knows he what happens promised, next. Uh, he promised us a lot. So did Pat Oswalt. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm happy for both of them. Me they too. love. Yeah, yeah. So up next, we have Moaning Lisa and Alec Whitney says, My dad and I were super into playing games together when I was a kid. He would play Zelda after I went to bed and my mom would fall asleep on the couch. To this day, if you hum the first couple bars of the Zelda theme around her, she will have it stuck in her head for a week. Also, after not playing games for 20 years, I got my dad a Switch in Breath of the Wild last year and he has 500 hours in it. I was very proud. That is very sweet, Alec. (laughs) That's like a Switch commercial, bringing families together. Yes, (laughs) uh, bringing generations together. I will say that, like, I think I... We did a Retronauts episode about The Legend of Zelda the first game i don't know like two or three years ago and mm-hmm. uh, as a kid growing up like that was the game dads played it yeah, was like every yeah. dad was playing that game and like as li- the little kids like us would just like poke around it and like not really understand it <laughs> but the dads were like you know getting out the maps and reading the books and everything so that was like the dad game dr mario was the mom game you know i've at that uh, time. that's so gendered bob but no. hey hey <laughs> they chose it uh you know i i knew friends who that was the dad game but my my dad didn't go in for that door stuff <laughs> he's uh he just liked the sports and the gun games my Those dad was uh, my stepdad rather was a former former D player <laughs> and uh when my mom started dating him like he lived in his mom's basement because he just got uh, went through a divorce <laughs> and the all the walls are lined with like fantasy paperbacks oh, wow. so big dork wow, wow, big wow. dork my stepdad you know uh, but he never <laughs> wanted to do anything dorky with me that's weird Maybe he's like you're dorky enough i don't want <laughs> you to get worse uh you know my my dad did reveal he had a like I think a dork summer or whatever. Where summer he, of dork. Well, he where he read all the Tolkien books, but uh, uh, but then he turned on it, I think, and went more into. That's when he uh, became sports. a cop. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> also on Moaning Lisa, John Harrison said, "I have to admit, I sympathize with Mr. Largo's attitude in this episode. He mentions that the recital is next week, so his future employment could be at stake. It doesn't make his response right, but I understand. I have worked jobs where ninety percent of my 
my performance evaluation was based on my performance in the open class where parents come in and watch. So yeah, you know what? I that's a good point about how tough it is to be Largo. That like uh, it, it, he won't be judged on Lisa's ability to empathize with the poor. It's it's their ability to play music. It's true, but I will say like uh, the intent with the character is like you're not supposed to sympathize with him. It's yes. based on someone macarining despise. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I mean as an adult, you can see that he's in a bad situation too now, while yeah. still being like, no, this is very repressive to do to children. And uh, nobody in the comments did this but several people on twitter updated me on the the canonicity of dewey largo's homosexuality they made it they did jokes about it and then in somewhere in the season 20 ish they made it clear he was gay and he actually quits his job hmm. and uh, marries a man also named dewey which is part of the joke and so he's, he's off off the show well he stopped being lisa's music teacher at least for one episode and apparently he randomly appears uh as needed for jokes but he that episode was meant to write him out of being her music teacher to get somebody they could do more jokes with i Hmm. guess but yes that's that's the current situation with one dewey largo so up next we have what a cartoon comments and our first episode is of course Yu-Gi-Oh 5Ds with our amazing guest Little Karibo, uh, mm-hmm. such an amazing guest and he was so much fun on the episode. Yeah, oh yeah. And make sure you check out his uh, YouTube videos if you haven't yet. It's a great way to watch Yu-Gi-Oh even if you don't understand it or don't <laughs> care. He makes it so funny. He really does. His, his voice is just great. So Curtis Bostick says, I was one of those people who wrote off 5Ds because a motorcycle seemed like the absolute least practical place to play a card game. But once I decided to revisit classic Yu-Gi-Oh, I re-examined that idea and realized that anything short of a regular ass table is impractical, so why not elevate to the absurd? <laughs> once I got over that mental roadblock, I gave it a shot and can safely say that you say maybe my favorite YGO protagonist. And I agree with you. I was like, it's already stupid. Let's make it stupider. Yeah. How stupid yeah. can we make this? And I like that you say is like he's a cool quiet guy like he's just a uh, he's a rebel but a rebel with a heart of gold which you know compared to yugi who's like he's both the they wanted to have it both ways with him like he's uh your usual like uh overly friendly nerd protagonist who then turns into your super cool tough protagonist <laughs> and uh he gets to have it both ways meanwhile you say like also you say like he's got tattoos and stuff too mm. you know that's a, he's cool a bad guy. boy a real bad boy we can't say no to bad boys Shy Ranger says about that uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds, great episode. You guys were great. Martin was great. Just great. However, there is one point that, if Henry and Bob are reading this question later, I would like their brief opinions on. Well, all right, Shy Ranger. How do you guys feel about so many shonen anime having most, if not all, of their villains being redeemed? Using the show as an example, Henry mentioned Tetsu, the corrupt cop, does become a good guy. Do you think that is a good message for inspiring that awful people can't? and be turned to good or do you think that it's a negative wishy-washy message implying see this corrupt cop wasn't bad after all redemption in escapism is something i've been struggling with myself especially in today's times Mm, interesting i feel that uh we often want an idealized narrative in fiction one where thing the things we want to happen do happen and i think the redemption of someone awful is a a button you can push to make people feel good Mm -hmm. unfortunately uh that doesn't that kind of never pans out in the real world or when someone is redeemed and they don't deserve it there's never a more disgusting feeling than that like hey wait a minute that guy shouldn't be famous again like you feel like uh it's too easy for some people
people. Mm, yeah, and I mean, there's no, unfortunately, there's like no redemption quotient that you can just point at. Like, I did enough of X to be redeemed. Yeah. I, I mean, look, on uh, in a less cynical uh, space for me i would love it if more people did you know go through redemptions arcs like characters do and say jojo's bizarre adventure or Yu-Gi-Oh. i and i think it's a hopeful message to give kids that someone who's evil could learn their lesson but in jojo's bizarre adventure for example any character that gets redeemed has to be mercilessly beaten mm. by jojo of whatever part it is to then be uh rejoined and even some Sometimes there are people who are too vile to ever be brought back from the brink. So I kind of like how Jojo plays it on different levels like that. Of some, some people can be de- redeemed, some can't. I mean, when you think about these as content for the youth, I do like the hopeful message that redemption is possible. Watching them as an adult, though, who has seen, you know, bad people in politics get away with, say, starting the Iraq war. Yeah. Or seeing police officers who admit no fault in uh, an officer-related shooting, then getting to go back on their job or face no punishment. Administrative leave. Administrative leave. Like, all these things, it's like, I feel like aggrandizing redemption gets reused by some people who were no way redeemed but did the surface level act of redemption and then are expected to be fully redeemed like i I think it's important to recognize where it's like this is a feel-good trope that uh does not always pan out in real life and when it does we have to be very careful about it Uh, like i would say like one piece is a great example where uh when the villain is defeated in most cases because no character truly goes away in that universe uh they are often brought well they're always brought to their lowest after being defeated and then through like the like opening uh little illustrations in every chapter there are often stories told like here is this person this former villain making a new journey to recraft their identity and redeem themselves like so it is a like this guy is awful he probably killed innocent people but it's still fun to watch him like try to make up for it even though uh in our world that is impossible but it's nice to see like in this idealized world sure if you can if you can write your own story where you show every step of an adventure or a uh, in the case of five d's where you see tetsu the prejudiced hate full and dirty police officer learn that his prejudices are wrong and you get to be on that journey with them then it's easier to believe in a redemption than meeting somebody who says they learned their lesson but you don't feel sufficiently did in real life because you you can't really know another person either so i i hope that uh, answers this uh, it's very, very complicated <laughs> ethical question shy ranger yes yeah. uh, so up next we have hilda with the episode the bird parade and thanks so much for our patron for being on that one yeah thank you casey and the first question is from uh abram simpsons not abraham simpson who says or sorry abram simons who <laughs> says i absolutely love this show i was a kid who spent most of his time outside looking for bugs frogs and salads Salamanders. I had a rock collection, including several nice agates. Basically, if I could have made friends with a Thunderbird, I would have. <laughs> Plus, the bright color palette and dry Britishness made it a delightful show that wasn't too treacly. Also, I'm with Bob against bird violence as well. They're so great, but they get a surprising amount of hate, despite how intelligent and wonderful 
they are. Yeah, I hope this uh, show taught uh, kids that, no, don't throw rocks at birds. They're living things and they're nice. Like, it's not a fun game to play, you know? But yeah, it, I, I'm hoping, uh, in general, the show's environmental and just, you know, nice naturalistic feel uh, kind of spreads to children of today and teaches them some Me lessons. too. And I should add, so after we recorded the episode, I talked to uh, my partner, Nina Matsumoto, who actually did the uh, comic Sparks. The new one is coming out in August. It's a great uh, graphic novel for kids. I enjoyed it. But she told me like, oh yeah, I remember telling you, Bob, that um, Hilda was a big inspiration to me in doing Sparks because sitting down to make Sparks, she's like, what works? Like what looks good in wow, this in this genre? And she that. was drawn to Hilda. She loved how the colors looked, how the characters looked. So that was a big inspiration for her. That's awesome. And man. she does. She loves Hilda, man. the comic. We should have brought her on and as well. Like And and it's animated in her town. That's, mm. uh, that's shocking. At the Hilda factory. <laughs> Uh, also on Hilda, we got a comment from Peanut B. Crunch, who says, A while back, at Cherry Ray on Twitter, put forward the idea that Hilda is on the autism spectrum. Consider, one, she tends to not socialize well with people. Two, she has trouble getting around until she's taught about how things look. Three, she tends to fixate on nature slash magical interests, example, rocks. Four, she has a strong sense of justice, feeling deeply for the other creatures, friends, and not having patience for mean kids. There are other examples, I'm sure, but I thought she made a very good case. As someone on the spectrum, Asperger's myself, I am very on board with this interpretation, and I would love it if the show slash comics ever did make this official autism being the often misunderstood condition it is we can use all the positive representation we can get and uh yeah i mean from what i know of the autism spectrum that's uh, not a that is a compelling argument that that she is meant to represent that too. yeah it um, is good to see representation in a way that's not just there to make uh, ableist jokes because oh, no, yeah. there there have been uh, characters on the spectrum in television shows and movies in the past like 10 or 15 years because now we recognize Asperger's and autism more but I feel like let's say characters like Abed who is a lovable character from mm-hmm. Community often the butt of a joke often <laughs> like he's lovable and aren't these people weird what a yeah. weirdo like I feel like it was punching down I, I think some of my favorite Abed jokes were when he attacked ideas of what people think people on the yeah. spectrum are like there were yeah. there were like pro uh, uh, pro messages on that side but often I think they was like having your cake and eating it too oh for sure with that character but yeah. with things like Hilda if you want to view that character in that light and also there's a character on Craig of the Creek who's very much a part of that world uh, the sister right yeah Jessica yes. definitely um, also the argument can be made she's, yeah. she's on the spectrum I don't believe they've made that official either within the show itself I, I yeah. think the shows are more sympathetic towards those characters mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in general no I think I've heard the same about uh, the character of Peridot in Steven Universe mm. that she uh, she likes things very orderly and she has a lot of trouble you know at first interacting with new people like i mean these these are things that you know a lot of people can identify with too like i said it in the show like oh yeah a lot of this stuff uh seemed familiar to me that hilda goes through in it as well but i i think uh it sounds especially recognizable to to folks identifiably on the spectrum and i hope i hope that kind of portrayal helps you know kids feel more comfortable with uh neuro atypical uh, situations like that me too 
And up next, we have Goof Troop, and uh, Eve of the Stars says, I watched this episode in the pollution episode that Henry mentioned before listening to this podcast. Glad I'm not the only one that didn't like that one. It was dumb, like the factory is literally just a pollution factory. <laughs> it also ends with Goofy becoming mayor, which I'm assuming never comes up again in the series. Uh, yeah, I it's, forgot that mayor bit. That was <laughs> strange. It's always weird. Like, it always left me with like existential dilemma or dread when a, a show like this would end with a continuity change, mm. knowing like, no, the like this is this can't be retained. I've seen all the reruns. <laughs> yeah, it's is the is am I to take this as the last episode and it ends with Goofy as the mayor? Like giant changes like that would bug me as well. Yeah. They really should have like pinned out like we talked about it on the series, but there are some <laughs> weird like sci-fi episodes and mm. weird like fantasy episodes where just like figure out your reality, guys. There weren't too many of those, but when I was as a kid, I was like, that's mm. stupid. I mean again, when you need sixty-five scripts in nine months, you seventy-eight. Know, so oh yeah, sorry. When you need that many you don't you don't question read uh, the series bible too often sure i guess i guess goofy has a dragon in this one who cares <laughs> let's move on we did dragons on ducktales what's the difference yeah uh also on goof troop that Komarowski again he replies pete was actually a bear when he first appeared in the silent disney alice comedies but when he became mickey's mortal enemy he was indeed clearly a cat because cats hate mice remember you wouldn't believe how much toontown turns up as a mandated locale from corporate back in the mid-2000s they were trying to push that as mickey's hometown in the u.s localized comic books disregarding decades of established continuity that mickey lived in mouston a neighboring city to donald's duckburg Mm. but some editors put their feet down and refused to everyone's benefit i didn't know there was this battle between Mouston versus Toontown. That's very strange. Uh, I was just in Disneyland, as we pointed out earlier. Obviously, the, for the first time after I did all that bonkers research. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I was walking through it, like, explaining to Nina, like, they they were building this as they lost Roger Rabbit. This is all meaningless. <laughs> like, this is all to just, like, bolster the, uh, the presence of Roger Rabbit, and he was just dead by the time this opened in 1993. <laughs> it's crazy. I didn't... I should have. I didn't even set foot in Toontown. I was like why i don't want to walk is everywhere here and toontown's a waste of my time uh it's still fun to look at it just it's fun to see like they had so they had the biggest plans for this yeah. this was their future this was going to be this the home of their future star yeah but he had like five god I'd say like three years of life. If that. Yeah. Yeah. I and it's so underserved and it's just a waste of space. Like I uh, like the gadget go coaster. I, I'd still bulldoze the whole thing and start <laughs> Jesus. over new. Like that's uh, that's what I do with Toontown. I Rod Driver uh, Ride sucks, but I still ride it. I can see how insistent they are. It's funny though, they're like, Well, yes, from a Disney corporate standpoint, if you go to Disneyland's Toontown, Mickey's house is there, so you're you need to tell kids that's where Mickey that's lives. That's where Goofy lives. His house yeah. is there. But, uh, you know, in the reality of the Disney comic book world, which seems to be its own universe, then just respect Mouston versus Mm. Duckburg, which, by the way, I've been watching on Disney Plus a ton of the DuckTales show. Finally, I'm catching up. It's a really good show. Also, Toontown is the only place with a uh, Disney afternoon themed ride in all of like any Disney park. So uh, rescue like there's one picture of Gadget way in the back, but she's there. If they bring the bonkers costume costume out again for one night i will buy a plane ticket oh me too to long beach that that's day th- that's worth all the pictures <laughs> yes uh so moving on to our movie for this month the great mouse detective and kaiser beam says uh he's talking about dave mickner one of the directors of this movie
movie. First, while his Tom and Jerry Kids credits are listed last on his IMDb, I've seen some people say that Dave Mickner's last true credit was being animation director on Hanna-Barbera's last independent feature film, Once Upon a Forest. He's credited for helping pin down the entire look of that film, and you can see why. It looks like a Disney movie on a modest budget from the backgrounds to the way the characters animate. It's a very fascinating and, in my opinion, underrated movie that also traumatized me as a kid, like Great Mouse Detective (laughs) did. Second, it was confirmed in a Disney Adventures comic from the mid-2000s that Fidget survived his fall. Wow, they waited a long time to confirm that. (laughs) So not only that, but he also made a heel-face turn. I don't think I found full scans of that comic, but what little I have found reads like, what if Great Mouse Detective got its own Disney afternoon show? Sure. And finally, yes, the Miss Kitty scene was just one of the many scenes of my childhood that made me furry. But she wasn't the first. That credit goes to Maid Marian in Disney's Robin Hood. And Mm. uh, I guess they chose to show... what happened to fidget in uh, the comics because they own that character oh yeah he's an original invented for them yeah. but yeah that's i i mean it sounds like he went through what happened to iago and most of the friendly comic characters that you're still going to sell toys of even if they're evil though not that fidget got very merchandised at all but that's interesting that some cartoonist for disney adventure was like could i just do great mouse detective please the society <laughs> demanded an answer to what <laughs> happened to fidget <laughs> and uh yes thank you for that update on once upon a forest i don't think i've ever seen that i'm sure like when i was a kid and uh in video stores i would know what the cheapo disney wannabes would be yeah, yeah. and i would kind of avoid them that's i, I penned it as that yeah yeah i i probably saw it on the vhs shelves and was just like this wasn't advertised to me mom i'm not gonna watch this and lastly our final comment of the month from brian horton about great mouse detective has anyone tried to play the basil the great mouse detective video game i didn't realize it existed until searching around about the movie recently i haven't played a lot of c64 zx spectrum games i think the first disney movie licensed game i played as a kid was little mermaid on nes anyway here's a long play to the game if anyone's curious any links to it in his i'm reply. checking it out now and i and i run a retro gaming podcast by the retronauts in case you don't know and uh, i would never play this game i mean all i needed to see was that it was on the zx spectrum and yeah. I knew I wasn't going to play that it shit. It looks like uh, a bad platformer <laughs> made uh, for people who are not me. So I, you know, again, I pity all you C64 ZX people that you had. You didn't have a proper Nintendo Entertainment System with good games on it. I, I'm so sorry for you. Uh, oh, but Brian Horton continues. Sorry. I really like the moment in the scene where Radigan is enraged at being called a rat and his thugs start reassuring him that he is a mouse. The voice of Bill the Lizard changes. He slips into what is pretty much a full Mickey Mouse voice to say, yeah, a big mouse, nervously. Wayne Allwine, then the current voice of Mickey Mouse, is credited as one of the thug guards. I'm guessing he was Bill. Hmm. Not sure if it was intentional, but it made me laugh. I totally missed that in the movie. I mean, it made me laugh to hear, yeah, big mouse. But, uh, you know, I like this guy's uh, conspiracy theory. I like it too. You know, I was just thinking, um, it probably won't happen because of rights issues but let's get a great mouse detective level in kingdom hearts yeah uh, i mean yeah i i think you could, uh, you could be in that clock <laughs> you can be in that big ben oh that'd be such a cool fight yeah i think they've they've trawled all the other gay uh films that anybody remembers get get into the great mouse detective do that before oliver and company you know or rescuers down under so i'm watching this long play of the um 
great mouse detective game. And it ends with uh, the sky chase between Radigan and Basil and his crew. <laughs> and it shows the two like things, the two aircraft like flying side by side with like very slow text explaining what's happening. And what happens is uh, Radigan's uh, thing is too fast and he escapes to be continued. What? So the game doesn't even have an ending. <laughs> oh, that is the worst. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So what a, uh, what a bummer. Jesus. They can't, they can't even kill him or they, that's terrible. They man, could draw oh, like, they had enough memory to draw like two little flying things, but not like a, a, a gif of Radigan falling. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. I mean, obviously they couldn't put the, do the inside of Big Ben. That was going to be way too much work for a C64. But Not going to happen. Jesus, man. That is, I'd be so disappointed if I had been a kid playing that. Fortunately, I had the good system, the Nintendo Entertainment System, that never had bad games on it. Never, never, never. <laughs> So thanks again to everyone for listening to another episode of Talk to the Audience. And once again, uh, apologies if I sound a little stuffed up, but uh, thank you so much for supporting the show because if I had uh, been sick for five days anywhere else, I would have just used all my sick days for the year. <laughs> and, and, and been judged heavily yeah, by written your up. bosses. Yeah, like, mm, how sick are you really? How dare you? Or you'd have just like miserably worked for two of those days. And got everyone else sick. sick. Yeah. Spread the virus around. <laughs> but yes, because of everyone out there, I was able to stay safely in my apartment, uh, just in a heap on the couch and uh, healing. <laughs> But I'm finally feeling better, better enough to podcast. So thank you so much for all of your support and for listening to another episode of Talk to the Audience. And we will see you again next month for another community podcast. Thanks a lot and see you then. infotainment.